Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. So, sorry about no pop opening uh, on today's episode. Um, I've kind of been light on my Coke Zero lately, so I'm not drinking any, at least not this morning. Uh, Probably, I probably should have realized years ago it's bad for me to drink pop directly in the morning, even though I like to treat it like it's coffee. It's not coffee, and I probably shouldn't be doing that, so no pop-up winning uh, today, but hopefully I'll get it in in a couple more episodes. Um, Let's see, what can I talk about in today's intro? Oh, so Barbenheimer is happening, guys. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go see it. I just don't really, like, have the energy... <laughs> to go see a movie right now but uh i've heard that both movies are doing wonderfully of course uh barbie is doing amazing which yay greta gerwig love that for her i love greta gerwig of all the female directors well maybe not of all of them but greta gerwig is definitely up there her adaption of little women fucking tore out my soul and then stuffed it back in my body that's how good it was like maybe controversial opinion i think it's the best Little Women adaption? Like, how Greta Gerwig writes about girlhood is just so accurate. And because it's so accurate, it fucking hurts. <laughs> so that's, that's probably why it's my favorite. I also cried in the theater when I went to go see it. So I imagine I'd have a similar reaction when or if I end up going to see Barbie. I don't know if I'm going to go see it. Not because I don't want to see it. Like I said, I just don't feel like I have the energy to go to a movie right now. You know, it takes so much out of you to, you know, go out into society. You feel me? Um, what else did I do this week? Oh, you guys probably don't care, but you know those, like, um, (laughs) those, like, fishnet bags that, like, people carry produce in? I really like the aesthetic of that, so I bought one because I'm weird. (laughs) And I really love it. I want to take it to, like, a market and just, like, fill it up with, like, apples or something, like, for no reason. I don't even, I I don't even eat apples that much because they irritate my teeth a lot. <laughs> I just want to do that anyway. Maybe I should like go to a market and get my mom apples because she likes apples. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Y- you guys don't care about my apple aesthetics. Um, today we are talking about da 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 Berengaria of Navarre. So uh, I have known about Berengaria of Navarre for quite a while. I've been wanting to do her on the show because I personally think she's very interesting, even though she didn't, you know, impact much in terms of history or really do much. But, you know, as the wife of probably one of the most famous uh, English kings, Richard the Lionheart, there was a lot betting on her when she was initially married to him. And also, I just think she has a really fucking cool name. I mean, Berengaria. No one's named Berengaria these days. I love, like, fucking cool medieval names. So, like, her, 
she's always stood out to me a lot, mostly because of her name. But when I actually did like really extensive research on her, I'm like, she's actually cool, despite the fact that, you know, she didn't really impact much in history. So I'm really excited to talk about her today. Let's get into it, guys. Okay, so Berengaria of Navarre was born sometime in the year 1165 in the Kingdom of Navarre as the oldest daughter of King Sancho VI of Navarre and Princess Sancha of Castile. Now, we don't have a great lockdown on where she was born exactly, but as far as we know, she was born sometime between the year 1165 and 1170, and that she was the oldest of her parents' four daughters. Her three little sisters were Constance, Blanche, and Teresa. She also had three older brothers, Sancho, Ferdinand, and Ramiro, so she was the quintessential middle child of the Navarrese royal family. Now, before we talk about her parents and upbringing, let's talk about her name, because Berengaria, as I've mentioned, is not really a name you hear anywhere at all. Like, do you guys know any Berengarias? Like, I know it's like a Spanish name. I'm curious if there's anyone in Spain named Berengaria listening to this right now. Uh, if you are... Fucking, like, hit me up. You have a really cool fucking name. Um, since it's not a really common name at all, or at least not in North America, I want to talk about the origin of her pretty weird but cool name. Now, Berengaria mostly has Latin, British, and German roots, and roughly translates to spear bearer or bear spear, and is giving very big warrior queen vibes. I mean, this is a very medieval princess name, like, fucking, um... Oh, what was the one I was looking at yesterday? Pris no, not Priscilla. Oh, I can't remember the name. I was, like, reading a little bit about Eleanor of Aquitaine yesterday, and she had a little sister whose name started with a P, but I can't remember it her name. Anyway, um, it sounds like something anyone would, like, name a princess in a book. Like, also, Berengaria's name was a family name. She was uh, probably named after her mater maternal grandmother, Berengaria of Barcelona. And as I found, lots of princesses in the various Spanish kingdoms have also been named Berengaria, so it seems to be popular amongst them. Um, I hope I will be able to give uh, the other Berengarias their own episodes, because there are, like, I think I found, like, five of them who I could, like, make an episode about. And they have lots to say, just like our Berengaria. Uh, now that we've talked a bit about her name, let's get to know a bit about her parents and her childhood in Navarre. Now, to really understand Berengaria's parents, I have to give you guys a bit of historical context about uh, this time period in the history of the Kingdom of, Na of Navarre. Now, Navarre was a kingdom located in modern-day southwest France, uh, nestled in what I like to call uh, Spain and France's armpit. Um, it is a place surrounded by mountains and ocean, and the people there speak Basque, which is one of the many dialects of uh, Spanish spoken in Iberia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I think it's pronounced Basque. Looks like it should be. <laughs> um, Navarre was first founded under the name of the Kingdom of Pamplona, but it was later changed to Navarre under Berengaria's father's reign. Uh, Navarre had a very troubled history from its founding in 771 AD, with constant raids from the Muslims in Al-Andalus in the south, and its other Christian neighbors, mainly the Kingdom of Aragon, who actually ruled them for a brief uh, period. Um, it was Berengaria's grandfather, King Garcia IV, that won the complicated succession war and won back Pamplona from the Aragonese. But unfortunately, recapturing the kingdom did not set up Berengaria's dad for a good reign because his reign was a little messy. Um, Sancho was 18 years old when he became king, and I don't think any 18-year-old could have really dealt with the way the kingdoms of Aragon and Castile bullied Navarre. 
Um, not even the most well-prepared 18-year-old boy in the world could have handled any of this well. I mean, fucking politics is hard for anyone, especially an 18-year-old boy. Now, from the second Sancho was put on the throne, Castile and Aragon bullied him into giving up territory and signing treaties. Uh, the Treaty of, uh, oh, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Tudelin? Tudelin, for example? Uh, lost Sancho much of his kingdom's southern territory and also gave both Aragon and Castile the right to expand further if they wanted to. Legally. Which fucking sucks. I mean, how is any 18-year-old boy supposed to handle that when two kings who are much older than him, a lot more experienced than him, lay a treaty like this on the table and give you no choice but to sign the fucking thing? Um, as Sancho aged, he tried a more aggressive approach dealing with his uh, Castilian and Aragonese neighbors. Uh, he was hostile to, uh, Count Raymond Berengar IV of Barcelona, but Raymond's son, King Alfonso II of Aragon, divided the lands taken from, uh, Mercia with him by the Treaty of Sangrusa, I think, in 1168. Um, in 1190, the two neighbors again signed a pact of mutual protection against Castilian expansion in Borja. In order to create some peace between himself and Castile, he negotiated a treaty and married Berengaria's mother Sancha as a part of the alliance. Now, we don't know much about Sancha and Sancho's relationship, because after all, this was a political alliance. Uh, we also don't really know enough about either of them, like in terms of personality to gauge if they would have gotten along. But they did have seven kids, so they must have liked each other at some point, uh, at least seven times during their 23-year-long marriage. Uh, now, as I've said, we don't really know much about ben Berengaria's mom, Sancha, other than that she was the daughter of the King of Castile. She was part of a marriage alliance between the Kingdom of Castile and little tiny Navarre. However, I was looking a bit into Sancha's family, and I found out that Sancha's grandmother uh, was Queen Uraka. And Queen Uraka was a bit of a powerhouse. She claimed the title of Empress of All Spain. So Berengaria definitely comes from a very strong line. Of women, thanks to uh, her mom. I want to do an episode about Uraka one of these days because she is fucking fascinating. I knew nothing about her prior to looking into Berengaria's family history. Uraka is cool. One day, guess. Now, sadly, Berengaria and her siblings would lose their mom in the year 1179. Berengaria would have been anywhere from nine years old to 15 years old when her mom died, which I'm pretty sure would have been really hard on everyone in the family. I mean, whether she was 9 or 15, losing your mom so young is... It's gotta be fucking traumatizing. And it must have been traumatizing to Sancho because Sancho never remarried. So we can assume that he and Sancha had a good enough relationship that he didn't feel like he needed to get married again or that he felt like, you know, a great amount of loyalty to her. Plus, he's got, like, he's got seven heirs. He doesn't really need to get married again unless... You know, he really wants the companionship, but the good news is he didn't. Now, we don't know much about what Berengaria's education would have been like. Um, she was most likely educated like most medieval princesses were, so that would have included reading, writing, poetry, playing an instrument, singing, fine needlecraft, stuff like that. Uh, not to mention the Navarrese court would have been a beautiful and musical place to grow up since most of Europe was adopting the troubadour culture of France. Uh, troubadours were essentially people who, like, wrote poetry and performed it to music. They were kind of like the rappers of the 12th century. <laughs> and Berengaria would have been exposed to these awesome musical performances at her father's court in Navarre. And I've heard they were quite impressive. Like, I want to see a fucking troubadour. Troubadour. It sounds like it would be really fun. I, I actually have another episode coming up 
not directly after this, but but soon. I'm writing it right now where Troubadours also making um, an appearance. So maybe between uh, now and then, I've got to like look up and see if anyone's done like a modern performance of a Troubadour. Anyway. Now, even though Navarre was uh, linguistically and mostly culturally tied to the other Spanish kingdoms, at this time they adopted a lot of French culture, which was dominating Europe at the time. Not just the troubadour stuff, but also uh, chivalrous uh, courts with love games and knightly honor and just, you know, all this, you know, softness and beauty, which seemingly had a big effect on Berengaria's personality. Uh, chroniclers of the time described Berengaria as prudent, elegant, beautiful, and wise. Um, in terms of actual looks, Berengaria was a dark and mysterious beauty, apparently. Um, she basically had jet black hair, dark brown eyes, which is a big contrast to her future husband, who's like this, you know, red-haired, golden man, you know? So she's like, she's goth GF. He's, he's... <laughs> I was gonna make, like, the ballet boy goth GF reference. <laughs> They're kind of like that a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm I'm laying it down right now. Richard Lionheart is <laughs> ballet BF and Berengaria is goth GF. Don't judge me. It's it's right. Shut up. Shut up. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Now, normally when I talk about most royal brides, we usually talk about how they were engaged to foreign princes and kings when they were like little, little, little babies, and they would be waiting their entire lives to be queen of whatever country that their dad picked out for them. But this was not the case with Berengaria. Berengaria seems to have received absolutely no offers of marriage as a child, not to mention it appears that her parents never sought out a husband for her. Which could be for a couple of reasons, but it's, like, really weird, especially as she's the oldest daughter. Oldest daughters usually get, like, the fucking pick of the litter when it comes to marriage alliances. But it could have been, maybe they're aiming for a really big marriage alliance and rejected a whole bunch of small offers and we just don't have that written down. Or they loved her so much they wanted to be careful with who she was married to so that she had a nice life. Or maybe Sancho just really fucking loved his daughter and wanted to keep her at home. Who knows? Either way, um, in about 1189 or 1190, interest in Berengaria started to surface from a very unlikely source, England's new king, Richard I. Now, Richard, also known as Richard the Lionheart, was not meant to be king in the first place. He was born as the third son of King Henry II of England and his wife, Eleanor of Aquitaine, and was this really attractive, reddish-blonde kid who, despite not being destined to be king, he was the golden child in his family. At least the golden child for his mother. And his future marriage was a reflection of his importance. Now, Richard, since he was a kid, had been engaged to Princess Alice of France as a part of kind of like a double marriage alliance where Richard would marry Alice and Richard's older brother Henry would marry Alice's sister Margaret. But that quickly fell apart when Richard's brother died, leaving Princess Margaret a widow and Richard next in line to the throne with a lot more autonomy than he had ever had in his entire life. Now that Richard was heir, he was seriously reconsidering if it was a good idea to marry Alice or not, or if he might be able to make a better marriage alliance somewhere else. Now, I don't know how true this is. But this is the rumor. Apparently, the real reason Richard didn't want to marry Alice was that apparently, and I say this with like really big air quotes, because we don't know, apparently Alice was having an affair with Richard's dad, Henry, which totally tr fucking tracks for Henry II of England. Henry II of England would fuck anything that moves. 
including fucking up his own kid's marriage alliance and banging his son's underage fiance. Um, at first, it looked like Richard wasn't going to be able to get out of his engagement because his dad was still very keen for him to marry Alice anyway, despite uh, the possibility that he had already uh, slept with her. But then a miracle happened, at least for Richard. Um, Henry fucking died. <laughs> and Richard became king. Now, with Richard now king, he could do whatever he wanted, and he broke off the engagement with Alice and sort of uh, kind of locked her up, but that's like a story for another day if I ever do an episode on Alice, which I probably will. She was fairly interesting. I don't know if there's enough about her to do a full episode on her, but the, the point is she got like locked up and like for a, a while by Richard. Um, she did eventually get to go home as far as I remember anyway alice gets locked up richard decides to focus on war and conquest that's what he wants to do but richard's mom eleanor was not having the whole i want war and conquest um and decided to take charge of looking for a you know beautiful bride for richard because eleanor of all people knew how precious succession was and she wanted to make sure that richard had a wife and some heirs on the way before he started to put himself in very heavy danger now conveniently berengaria had a connection to richard through her own family because one of richard's sisters also named eleanor happened to be married to berengaria's first cousin so the english royal family were very much aware of her and queen eleanor thought berengaria might be the perfect match for her son now on 1190 the 70 year old Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine, made her way across the English Channel and then across the Pyrenees Mountains to meet with Berengaria's father and start negotiations after a very stellar recommendation from her daughter, Eleanor Jr. Now, eventually, Eleanor uh, of Aquitaine and Sancho came to a very fair agreement about the uh, dowry and everything. Uh, Sancho gave the English tons of money for uh, Berengaria's dowry and also kind of helped uh, Richard fund his his crusade, and the English offered protection and friendship to the Neverese, which was uh, very helpful against, you know, Castile and Aragon, and the fact that they're very tiny, and they really needed it. Um, at this time, Richard was, well, on his way to fight in the crusades. He, he decided to not wait for his mother to uh, bring back his bride, so it was time for Berengaria to have a life-altering medieval road trip with her future mother-in-law. This should be fun, right? <laughs> um... It took Eleanor and Berengaria several months uh, just to make it to uh, Sicily, where Richard was staying, before he properly set out on the Crusades. But when they arrived, it was Lent, and it was not okay to have a marriage during Lent, so Richard and Berengaria were forced to wait until Lent was over. Now, when Berengaria arrived in Sicily, she was introduced to Richard's sister, Joan, who was the recently widowed Queen of Sicily. And Richard thought that setting Berengaria up with a woman her own age with similar interests might make her feel less lonely since Richard did not seem overly interested in getting to know Berengaria. But in good news, she had Joan. Joan was close in age to Berengaria. She was educated in the same French culture, had the same interest in music and poetry, and both women would consider each other sisters their entire life. So I'm, I'm super glad that Berengaria had this relationship despite the fact that you know, she's supposed to be hanging out with her future husband, but he's not overly interested in her. He's like, war! No time for women, you know? Now, even though Richard's mom wanted him to wait uh, to go on the crusades to marry Berengaria before, you know, heading uh, east, Richard did not listen to his mom and decided to head off uh, anyway with Berengaria and Joan in tow. 
Now, because Richard and Berengaria were not married, it would have been inappropriate for him and Berengaria to ride in the same boat to the Holy Land. So, Berengaria was paired with Joan for the journey to Acre in Jerusalem, which may have actually uh, ended up being a good thing for her. Um, on Berengaria's way to the city of Acre, uh, Richard's fleet got caught in a storm, and several boats were either destroyed or scattered. And Berengaria and Joan, and Joan were on one of the boats that had gone missing. They were basically the only boat that was missing. And, yo, you could literally never guess where they ended up. So, Berengaria and Joan washed up, and when I say washed up, th their boat was intact. It's fine. Um, their boat kind of came in to Cyprus in Greece, and the king of Cyprus, uh, Isaac, knew exactly who they were because of their ship's flag, and decided, hmm, I'm gonna hold Berengaria and Joan for ransom because this is the king of England's fiancé, and this is the king of England's sister, and can you imagine the kind of money I'm gonna get for these two? Woo! Surely this couldn't possibly uh, go wrong in any way. Um, after a few days of being missing, Richard found out what happened to his fiance and his sister, and he was pissed the fucking hell off. So he sailed to Cyprus, immediately declared war on Isaac, and very, very quickly took over Cyprus, deposed Isaac as king, and locked him up as well. Now, apparently, after Richard deposed Isaac, Richard took Isaac's daughter and sort of made her a hostage and gave her to Berengaria as, like, a gift? I, I'm putting up air quotes. You can't see them, but gift? Uh, to do with whatever she wanted. Now, luckily for uh, Isaac's daughter, whose, whose name uh, we don't know, by the way, uh, Berengaria was not the revenge type. Uh, she chose to keep the kid as a companion and make, made sure she was educated and taken care of before she was eventually ransomed back to her family, uh, because, you know, ransoming people was just Richard's way. Um, Berengaria was not gonna be cruel to this kid, even though Isaac was pretty cruel to, uh, Berengaria and Joan while they were there. Uh, he, he basically starved them out, wouldn't give them any food, um, was violent with their guards and stuff like that, so it's really nice that Berengaria didn't take that out on Isaac's daughter. Uh, that's good. We love you, Berengaria. You're so kind. Um, anyway, after the whole hostage situation, Richard realized he couldn't wait any longer on the marriage front and decided that he and Berengaria should just get married on Cyprus, which, you know, it was so beautiful there. I mean, why the fuck not? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Richard and Berengaria got married on May 12th, 1191 in the capital city of Cyprus, uh, Limassol. I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh, three-day feast started their wedding celebrations, and at the actual ceremony, Berengaria wore a gorgeous white silver dress with bejeweled golden ribbons trimming it and a long embroidered cape and a white veil the perfect outfit for queen of england uh they had to uh, have that made in cyprus by the way because like she didn't bring a wedding dress with her or she didn't have time to get one made anyway um at her wedding she was also crowned as queen of england and she was probably looking forward to a very very bright future with richard as his queen but her new life definitely wouldn't be turning out the way she probably thought it would Yay. Now, from almost the second Berengaria, uh, Joan and Richard showed up in Jerusalem, Berengaria personally saw very little of her new husband once they got married because Richard was off on the Third Crusade, uh, you know, probably the best of the Crusades, doing some serious murder in the name of God. And after a year, Richard decided that the Holy Land wasn't safe for his new bride and his sister, and decided to send both Berengaria and Joan to Naples and then to Rome so she could wait on his return. And then, <laughs> Richard got captured by Leopold of Austria. 
Now, Leopold was demanding a gigantic ransom in return for his safety. Uh, Berengaria went about a year uh, with very little news about how Richard was doing in captivity. She didn't know if he was dead or if she was ever going to see him again. She asked for permission to travel uh, to her husband's lands in the south of France while she waited for him to come home, which was uh, granted to her finally in 1194. Uh, Richard's mom, Eleanor, managed to raise the money for the ransom. Which was pretty crazy because Leopold of Austria, I think he asked for like four times what um, the Kingdom of England like made in a year. Like he was asking like an outrageous sum in the hopes that no one would be able to raise it and that he'd get to kill Richard because, you know, that's he would have really wanted to do that. Um, but Eleanor and Berengaria managed to raise the money. Richard was set free. But Richard didn't go see Berengaria when he fucking got out of captivity. Uh, Richard went to England. He did not ask Berengaria to come with him. Uh, he was like, you know, stay in France. It's fine. He completely ignored her when he actually ended up in France. And visited uh, other parts of his lands in France. Like, literally almost right next to where she was staying. So, like, what the fuck is up with Richard's attitude? Well, we don't know what was up with him. Some people think uh, Richard thought Berengaria was barren as they'd been married a few years and there was no pregnancy, but that's dumb because she had barely seen them since, barely seen each other since they had gotten married, so there's really no time to have gotten pregnant. Um, other people have suggested that Richard may have been gay and was trying to avoid her because of that, but I don't really see that, mostly because we don't really know about any male lovers of his, but, you know, that could you know, just not have been written down. I do remember reading something about him being a little friendly with the King of France, but uh, I don't know about that. Also, Richard had a couple of illegitimate children, as far as I know, so I don't really know if that theory is correct. Uh, mostly, I think Richard was, like, really, like, war, you know? <laughs> he was really focused on war and being a warrior king rather than creating a dynasty. Like, he wanted to burn hot and burn quick. He didn't want to create anything lasting, which is fucking stupid. The only reason he was married to Berengaria was because his mom had pushed him into it. Uh, but that didn't mean he had to fully cooperate with his mommy's wishes, even though he was big mama's boy. Uh, Berengaria was in a very weird position. She was queen of England, but she had never stepped foot in the country. She couldn't really be, uh, you know, the queen because of Richard's mom, who still acted like she was queen. So all Berengaria could do was sit around, live in comfort and luxury while her husband ignored her and her mother-in-law took her rightful position. Then Richard got very violently ill, but luckily recovered, and he vowed that uh, while he was sick, if he lived, he would fix all his mistakes, including forsaking his wife. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Richard sent for her at his bedside as he recovered, and he promised to spend more time with her, which was half true. Uh, they definitely spent more time together than they had, but Richard still was, you know, fucking off in other parts of France, uh, waging war and shit rather than hanging out with his wife. Uh, so eventually she went back to her estates that Richard had purchased for her. And it was in the year 1199, while Berengaria was probably lounging around in her estates in France, uh, doing her usual routine of reading, embroidering music, when she received word that Richard had been killed while uh, besieging the castle of Chateau Chalus. Uh, not long after that, she got word that her best friend and sister-in-law, Joan, had unfortunately died in childbirth. Joan had gotten remarried uh, quite quickly after uh, they had like gone to Rome. Uh, unfortunately, she died very young in childbirth. It was very devastating for Berengaria. I mean, that was 
one of her best friends in the world, and fucking worst of all, Berengaria suffers really three bad deaths in 1199. Um, Berengaria's actual blood sister, her little sister Blanche, also died in childbirth that year. Now, we don't have any descriptions from the time of how Berengaria felt about any of these losses, but based on the fact that she chose to retire to a life of seclusion almost immediately after this, she must have been so fucking devastated about these three major deaths in her life. Um, whether or not she loved Richard, losing your spouse is hard. It's even harder to not only lose one sister, but also a woman you considered a sister as well. So I'm sure it must have killed her on the inside to have to deal with this by herself. Now, after Richard, Joan, and Blanche died in the same year, Berengaria chose to retire to a life of very quiet seclusion. However, that quiet seclusion doesn't mean no one heard from her. In fact, she did a lot of great work in her retirement. Uh, Berengaria, like most women in medieval Europe, were was deeply religious. Uh, she invested a lot of her money that she had into religion. She founded a, a convent at Le Mans, using her dower income to support its construction, as well as giving generously to charities. Unfortunately for Berengaria, she was in almost constant battle for money that she was entitled to from her former brother-in-law, King John. Now, King John is a very famous jerk face in history, and he was super not helpful for Berengaria in getting the money she was supposed to be receiving because John was a greedy fucking jerk. Um, it wouldn't be until King John's son, uh, Henry III, came to the throne that Berengaria would get every cent she was entitled to under Richard's will, um, and also her uh, marriage agreement. The construction of Berengaria's uh, convent was completed in the year 1230, and she immediately moved in and decided to live life as a nun, although she never officially took nun's vows while she was there. Berengaria would die uh, not long after moving into the abbey on December 23rd, 1230, at age 65, most likely. She was buried in a tomb specifically carved for her. Her tomb is supposed to represent her on her wedding day at just 26 years old and is a fucking gorgeous example of medieval tomb art. That's why I made it the, you know, cover art for this episode, because it is just a fucking beautiful carving. Now, while most of Berengaria's legacy is focused on the fact that she probably never set foot in England while she was queen, although we, we think she might have uh, gone there to demand her money from John, but we're not really sure, she did so much in her retirement that is worth noting. I mean, it is crazy. Um, historian Anne Trinidad says about Berengaria that she is remembered as a benefactor of several religious congregations and institutions and was regarded in her time as a model of piety, which I think says just so much. Berengaria was a very strong medieval woman for her time, and despite all the insane crap she went through, she managed to live on her own terms after her husband's death and help so many young women through the convent that she built and all the charities she supported, and I just think that is so fucking incredible. I mean, what a, what a life. I mean, wow. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I will see you guys in two weeks of a brand new episode. I love you guys. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.